0: Welcome to The Screen Test of Time, the podcast where we watch every movie ever nominated for Best Picture, in order from the very first award ceremony to someday, the present year. When we've watched all of the movies in a particular year, we will tell you if the Academy's choice holds up. I am Susan Araslin, coming to you from New York, but my brain is still in Thailand,
1: I am David Daw, coming to you from Los Angeles. Who knows where the hell my brain is at any given moment? What's
0: happening over there?
1: I no, I mean just nothing. Like I, but just, <laughs> just generally in life, you. I don't. I'm not having a big week. That's just always true. Oh, okay.
0: Anyway, this week we watched Cavalcade, which was the winner for the 1932-1933 year.
1: And you know, I get the impulse for uh, this movie this week. <laughs>
0: Yeah, well, so uh, was this movie as long as I thought it was, or did I just travel 36 hours?
1: (laughs) It's not even two hours long. The thing about it is there's no center. It's just a bunch of stuff that happens, which we say a lot. But like, usually what that means is that there's like a lot of side incidents that sort of happen against this main plot that wouldn't last a movie. In this case, it's that this is like a season and a half of television that they've just slammed into an hour and 52 minutes.
0: Or like the entire series of Downton Abbey.
1: Oh yeah, absolutely. We thought that was a joke. It isn't. This is like the entirety of, like the first three full seasons of Downton Abbey are this movie, except instead of like having there be the episode where like war breaks out, it's just... Oh, God, my favorite moment in the entire movie yes. is when the new actors who have shown up to play the children, now that the children are grown up, are suddenly in love, because, of course, they are, and they announce they're going to get engaged, and that they're going to get engaged on a boat, and you're, like, immediately, like, it's going to be the Titanic. And then... <laughs> And then, no, what's even better than that is, and then a plane flies overhead, and apropos of fucking nothing, the guy goes, it's Lindbergh, he's done it, and then end of scene. That is the way history happens in this movie, is that just, like, people are like, ah, here we are, 14 days before Archduke Franz Ferdinand will be assassinated. (laughs) Like,
0: that- They definitely telegraph a lot of things in this movie. Um, My second favorite one of those was when the youngest son is talking to his dad and they're like, oh, yeah, you know, it looks like we may go to war with Germany. And he's like, how long do you think the war will last, Pop? Oh, God. Dad is like, oh, three months. We couldn't possibly afford to do any more than that. And Germany definitely can't. Oh, well, what if it goes for six months? Oh, no, no, it won't go that long at all. And you're like, oh, man, really?
1: (laughs) But that scene also gets at why this is a bad movie besides just the pacing issues is that like the consequence of those pacing issues is that the like emotional resonance of this movie is bonkers. Mom, who seemed, like, basically okay with the Boer War, which is what opens the movie, just suddenly announces, like, War! I won't have any part of it! Don't ask me to toast to this war! <laughs> and you're like, whoa, where did that come from? Also, did anybody ask you to do that? And, like, it's World War One, so, like, good call. But why is she doing that in character?
0: She was really distraught throughout the entire war when her husband was away like she basically spent the entire time that he was away crying i
1: well okay but it is it felt like a very different thing because it felt like a thing in the Boer war of like boy it's, it's tough to get through this it's like hard on the ladies and then with world war one felt like she was reacting to what World War One would be, you know? Yeah,
0: no, th- that definitely makes sense.
1: There's honestly more egregious examples, because, like, the kids just show up and announce their plot line. Like, at least the mom is there for the whole fucking movie, and so there is some sense of character development. <laughs> but, like, characters show up two-thirds of the way through this for their, like, third line, and are suddenly like, I'm the one going to war! Ah, war. What will it be? And, like, it is really weird how disconnected from everything, basically everything is. So
0: the plot of this movie, to like extremely quickly go through it, because there's a lot of details that we will get to, is it follows this family, the mother and father are Jane and Robert Marriott, like the hotel, (laughs) Uh, except spelled differently. And it starts in 1899 and goes through 1933, which was kind of amazing to me because the play was written in 1931. But I guess since it was a movie, they adapted it. And like all of this stuff that is historically important happens in the course of the movie, which is what makes it feel like Downton Abbey.
1: And like, it's supposed to be, I mean, like Cimarron or like Downton Abbey, we're viewing this one family as the lens through which we're viewing history being made. Occasionally that works? but mostly when history shows up it's like so awkwardly done and kind of hilariously like i texted susan like i don't think i've ever seen this many british people announcing what year it is without the doctor showing up <laughs> all anybody ever does is go like we're at this point in history and that's what history's like here's what's happening in history right now or suddenly announces, like, I have a drinking problem now. (laughs) Because there's no time for any of that to arise naturally. There's just another time skip, and then everybody establishes what is going on now, because it's fucking five years later. And then you get to somebody getting run over, or everybody dying on the Titanic, Or whatever the hell is supposed to end that sequence of the film. And then there's another fucking time skip. So you never, like, spend any time with these characters. They just announce what they're doing and what has happened? Yeah,
0: there's definitely a problem in this movie of it trusting the audience to understand what is going to happen. A big part of that is announcing the years. And also, there's a part where queen victoria dies and the dad who did very well in the boer war is going to be in the processional or whatever for her funeral but before she dies there's like oh let's read the newspaper gee whiz haven't you heard about the queen it's so sad that she is fading and like the servants are talking about this in the kitchen all upset and it interrupts their celebrating the butler's return from the war. And it's like, oh, why are you guys down in the mouth? Oh, Queen Victoria's sick! And I'm like, are, are you serious? Like, is this how we're gonna do this?
1: And, like, it isn't even, like, that happens at the start of the scene and is, like, fuel for the... No, it's just, like, somebody walks in with a newspaper and, like, looks dour for three seconds. And somebody's like, what's wrong? The Queen's dead? Oh, no! And so much of the plot development is that is like, these sudden, like, someone runs in, like, literally while they're watching a play, someone runs into the middle of the play and announces the Boer War is over. And like, there it works, cause like, everyone's been worried about it. But then that's how every historical development for the entire rest of the movie goes. Is they're just in the middle of something and someone runs in and goes like, we're at war now! <laughs>
0: It's not even the historical stuff. Some of it is actually like the character development is so longly and obviously foreshadowed. For instance, so the maid and the butler end up leaving the service of the Marriotts and going to open a pub, or he buys a pub from somebody in the Boer War. <laughs> and Alfred, who is the butler, develops a drinking problem, but they have a daughter named Fanny, and for reasons that absolutely defy logic the woman they used to serve comes to visit and is hanging out in the back of the pub and the little girl is like dancing it's like oh she's such a good dancer Wake, wake, wake! and you're like gee i wonder if she will grow up to become a dancer Hmm.
1: yeah it is that i say there is no foreshadowing of anything But I guess what I really mean is, like, there's either no foreshadowing or foreshadowing is that character's entire character arc. The kids never do anything except when it is to set up what they will be like as an adult when the actual actors show up to play them. They're just these weird blank slates whose only action is to foreshadow who they will be as adults, or someone just suddenly has a drinking problem, are the ways it goes. Uh, Which
0: I found to be really interesting about Alfred, is that, you know, he didn't seem to have any kind of problem with alcohol, but as soon as he opens a pub, now he's, like, getting drunk all the time. But not even in his own pub. Yeah. Like, he runs down the street to pay their rent, and some guys outside of a different pub are like, hey, come on, man, come in for a drink. And he's like, oh, I can't. Like, oh, ju- you know, just one. And he says, okay, fine. I'll come in for one drink. And then gets hit by like a fire truck.
1: A fire engine. <laughs> yeah. He gets hit by a horse-drawn fire truck, but he gets hit by a fire and, truck.
0: Yeah, there, there's, again, no development of that at all. It's like what we see is his wife pulls him into the back and it's the first time we've seen them in the pub at all since they left service. And she's like, we were respectable when we we were in service. Which is an, another thing about this movie that was really kind of wild is how it portrayed being a servant as like the best possible thing. Yeah. It definitely had like that Downton Abbey feeling to it.
1: But it also has that thing in, that Downton Abbey doesn't do, thankfully, where just like, and the class system is in place because the naturally better people rise to the top. There really is this feeling of, like, boy, everyone who isn't, like, in the aristocracy is is a garbage person. Like, with the possible exception of Fanny, but then Fanny's mom just becomes a garbage person at the end of the movie. Which is
0: wild!
1: Yeah. Because
0: she's like, okay, so Fanny, the daughter of the servants, and the son of the Marriott's, Before he goes off to World War I, get involved and I guess fall in love, whatever. And so when the armistice is announced, Fanny's mom goes to this woman that she has spent the whole movie being like, Oh, she's the greatest and wonderful and we loved being in their service. And is basically trying to like blackmail her son into marrying Fanny. Like, well, I found their letters so they better get married.
1: Yeah. (laughs) And, like, one, they were going to anyway. Like, it it doesn't make any sense as a character action. It's just there to antagonize the mom so that, like, she can be even more grief-stricken when... Oh, God, this is the other thing is I love that Joe lives through the entirety of World War One, just so he can die, like, on the last day of the fucking war. Right, so
0: she can get a telegram on Armistice Day while this woman is trying to blackmail her yeah Uh. which of course is how it happens is the telegram shows up while what is the servant's name the former maid ellen
1: ellen yeah so
0: there were some things i did like about this movie
1: god yeah and
0: all of them were the friend i don't know if she ever marries but jane's friend who shows up in her first appearance wearing like massive amounts of ermine fur and is always super fabulous.
1: Yeah, the friend is great. The friend also, like, ends the movie like, now I'm gonna go fuck my doctor friend. And you're like, okay, (laughs) 80-year-old friend, good on you. And she's,
0: like, 80 and wearing flapper dresses.
1: (laughs) It's great.
0: So, yeah, she was pretty fabulous. And she shows up from time to time just like, As the the fun single woman who is up to speed on what's going on in life. (laughs) Yeah. And basically to act as a foil to Jane, who has been, like, the proper wife through the whole movie. And who hasn't actually been that bad. She wasn't unbearably stuffy, the mom.
1: Yeah, no, I I like her. I, I honestly like both the mom and the dad until the very last sequence where they have to be in old age makeup and pretend to be old, uh, and they don't do a particularly great job with that. But until then, I like both of them, both within the thing and as actors. And the
0: costumes in this movie were, were really good. Yeah. I'm just going to go ahead and say that. They were. They were really good costumes. <laughs>
1: Yeah, I, I mean, yes, the costumes are really good. It feels like it ran out of budget halfway through, because for, it, for the first half of it, there's all these really impressive crowd scenes. And then you get to World War One and they're like, I don't know, let's just do this weird montage with a bunch of people yelling.
0: Yeah, the war stuff was really was really cheaply done. and it does kind of have that feeling of like they blew all of their budget on 200 people at a party right after Queen Victoria dies and all of the extras are wearing like incredible Edwardian ball gowns. so they got to World War one and were like, well, uh can we put some generals in like a boardroom with a chalkboard and then we'll have somebody who's supposed to be communist who's like, in literally the exact same room. <laughs> there, and there were like five of those guys. There was like, I don't know who they were even supposed to be. I mean, one of them, I'm, I assume, was supposed to be Lennon.
1: Yeah, I guess. It is also wild to me that like, it's World War I ends and then the movie's like, and now everything's spinning out of control. And not like before the World War <laughs> would be where... Where I would start laying the groundwork for that, maybe a little bit more. Or
0: during, even. But yeah, the like, there's flappers now and it's crazy and, and social order has been just completely upended by 1933. And it's like, but didn't things kind of chill out like a little bit after the stock market crash?
1: Yeah, I I mean, this feels like because it was written in 31, that probably wasn't really in there yet.
0: Yeah, that's that's fair. Like things hadn't ha- been going on long enough to realize that you know the roaring 20s were over
1: oh uh, i sorry i just suddenly realized how have we not talked about the music yet ahead (laughs) because just i just had this image in my head halfway through of somebody just bursting into a room at like the fox lot and going like we guys we got it we got the rights to old lang's eye let's use it 57 times (laughs) in this film
0: which I I kept having the thought during it because the movie starts out with the Boer War and it's like the whole film is so, you know, rah-rah British Empire and like, oh, it's sad that the great British Empire is falling because the Victorian era is over and they're singing this song that is Scottish and I was like, wow, this, hmm, (laughs) this is definitely a feeling I'm having right now.
1: Yeah, they also, uh, I forget the actual name of it, the song they play at graduations.
0: Oh, yeah, um, not canon, but the other one.
1: Yeah, that comes up a lot. Nikki, I was watching it on my laptop, and Nikki kind of came through and was like, did people not have, like, record players? Did they have to go to the movie theater to hear this song? (laughs) Like, what is-
0: Uh, Pomp and Circumstance yes yeah that
1: sh- that shows up a half dozen times old I kind of makes sense because like the spine of this thing is like the new year although they like abandon that all the time and it's just like randomly may or june or something for a couple of them they're like it's new year's eve of x year and it's about the passage of time but it feels like there's like three songs in this whole movie and they just play them all over and over and over again. Yeah,
0: except for Fanny's song that she performs right. in what is made out to be like the most sinister thing ever, which I did not understand because like why? Fanny's not sinister. We don't dislike her as an audience.
1: Yeah, she goes out of her way to be like extra decent. What's his name? I've, I feel like just every male character in this movie is named Edward. <laughs> Um, But Joe
0: It does feel like everyone in this movie is named Edward Every time they referred to him as Sir Robert I was like, wait, but isn't his name Edward?
1: Yeah Um, But Joe Joe is the one that proposes to Fanny And Fanny's like Hey, that seems like a terrible idea Given our family histories And the fact that it's the middle of World War One." <laughs> And yet we're still supposed to think because her mom's poor. Like this movie seems to genuinely think that poor people are like garbage in this way that is upsetting to me. To the
0: point where there is a there is an entire character whose whole character arc is that she doesn't know where Africa is. Yeah. Who's one of the servants. And somebody says, well, you know, haven't you seen it on a map? And she's like, well, yeah, but like, of course I've seen it on the map, but where is it really? And you're like, Is that a dumb question, or is that a brilliant question?
1: (laughs) Yeah, because, like, here's the other thing about that joke, is that the joke is clearly supposed to be that, like, none of the other stupid poors know where Africa is either. (laughs) They're just all upset with her for daring to ask the question
0: right exactly and then there's the other poor people when jane goes to visit alfred and ellen at the pub and the older son is there and somebody says you know well how was cambridge when you left and he says oh well i'm sure it was very lovely but i'm at oxford you know and then they're like oh hawksford and i'm like are we we're not doing this like, you you expect me to believe that there are people living in England who mispronounce Oxford and act as if they know of a place called Hawksford?
1: Oh, yes. Arvard. Everyone knows of <laughs> Arvard.
0: <laughs> and, yeah, because apparently if you're not upper class, you're an ignorant jackass.
1: What else about this movie?
0: Uh... Oh, this was one of the first movies to use the words damn and hell in it.
1: Oh, right. Which I did not notice at all. And then the Wikipedia page explained to it's me. It's
0: funny to me that the Hayes office was like, well, we're worried that this might set a precedent because like, you know what, man? A just concern.
1: <laughs> yeah. As it turns out, this one was <laughs> a slippery slope. Who knew? <laughs> what you You got it right one time.
0: <laughs> I want to go back in time. To the Hayes office and be like, hey, guys, most of the stuff that that you were worried about, eh, not really that big of a deal, but you weren't wrong. Like people just drop F-bombs in movies all the time for no reason.
1: Oh, that was the other thing I was going to say about the music is that it really contributed to that sense of like watching a season of television on Fast Forward This happens all the time on, like, Jane the Virgin, where Jane the Virgin has, like, three original songs that it uses as background music. And so when you watch, like, four or five episodes in a row, you're like, ah, love theme from Jane the Virgin. (laughs) it's been 15 minutes good to hear you again or
0: like if you're mainlining supernatural which is how i watched like the first three seasons of supernatural yes oh it's <laughs> that fucking song that they end <laughs> it's, it's scary on my wayward song we're yes. at a season finale again i i didn't realize i had watched this many hours of television in the last three days <laughs> it yeah. definitely did give that vibe oh we're back in another year and I think that's why I felt like this movie was 15 hours long because it was like I definitely watched multiple seasons of this movie since I heard all log said like four times <laughs>
1: Hey everybody, just reminding you that liking us, subscribing to us, and reviewing us on iTunes really helps promote the podcast. And we really appreciate every single like, review, subscription we've gotten so far. It's still the best way we've got to uh, help out the pod. So, thank you, and sorry for calling it a pod a second ago. Did you laugh out loud at the very beginning of this movie when in the credit sequence, which was incredibly long? Because it was just the list of the entire cast. You then got to the part... And also the whole thing is set against this marching medieval cavalcade that's supposed to be like the March of Time. When in front of the cavalcade came just the words THE CHILDREN in giant letters.
0: (laughs) I did! (laughs) Oh, I so did! Because... There there was a part of me that was like, is this going to be a list of the actors? Or like, what the fuck is this? Right? (laughs) The children.
1: Uh, Honestly, it really sets you up well for the film. Because like, the children, sans context, is kind of this entire movie. It's just like this announcement of a thing with an emotional context. But you don't know what anyone means by that, or why it's happening, or what anyone is doing. Just someone is loudly announcing the children,
0: yeah, like what is what is the import of any of this? I do feel like I had an emotional attachment to Edward, and that his death was like okay this is this is actually sad because you know he and the girl that he had been playing with when they were children grow up and fall in love, and everybody's happy about it, and then they're on the Titanic, and I was like, oh man, that sucks that's that really sucks.
1: I had two problems that kept me from really caring all that much about Edward's death. The first was that, like, you meet Edward, adult Edward, five minutes before he dies on the Titanic. There's, like, a scene with him and Edith where they're like, We're in love now. Let's go sit on the beach. Do you want to get on a boat? Sure. And then there's this scene on the Titanic That is so overwrought. I think at one point, Edith actually says, like, I just can't escape the feeling something terrible is going to happen.
0: Oh, it's actually worse than that, because it's something to the effect of, like, how would you feel if you died right now?
1: (laughs) Right. How would you feel if we died tonight? Which... By the way, Susan, you're just you're just coming back from your honeymoon. How many times yeah. did you say that on your honeymoon? <laughs> because for me, with Nikki, it was seven or eight. But I just I just want to know what it was like for you.
0: I don't know how many times <laughs> I, I, that we have said that. I mean, there was definitely a like. Uh, there's <laughs> well, no, you know what? It was once. I think. <laughs> because, because
1: it was when you were on the Titanic. It was when we
0: were on the Titanic. No, but I think we were on a boat because I think it was when we were taking the ferry from way to Yang. and we were like really, really tired. And Sean said, "You know, this feels this feels really real. Like if we died right now, I wouldn't just wake up in my bed." <laughs> Which is a reference to she- when we went traveling the first time and we were we had flown to Venice and he hadn't slept at all the night before and we like had luggage that we couldn't take on the Vaporetto like the the boat bus that they have in Venice and we didn't know how to get to our hotel and he was so tired that he thought to himself that if he threw himself in the canal that he would just wake up in his bed (laughs)
1: because that was the save point yeah that makes sense
0: (laughs) right But that, I think, was the only time that we talked about dying.
1: I just. I was just trying to imagine a couple on their honeymoon where one of them just goes, let's just talk about us both dying tonight. And the other one doesn't go, this is our honeymoon. (laughs) What are you doing?
0: Like, could we maybe save this for, I don't know, (laughs) when we get back and we're planning out, like, making sure that you're my recipient on the life insurance policy? (laughs) Could
1: we save this for when we're both 80? Because that seems like a much more appropriate time to do this.
0: (laughs) Or, you know, like 60? (sighs) Yeah.
1: But anyway, so it was like, and then there is the like, dun, dun, dun reveal that they're on the Titanic (laughs) at the end of that scene. And it's like, yeah, no, no fucking kidding. And
0: like, (laughs) which we didn't even talk about how that reveal happens, which is that they're like standing on the deck of the ship, leaning against the rail together, chatting about their doom. (laughs) And then they're like, let's go have dinner or whatever. And they walk away and there's a life preserver that says HMS Titanic. And you're like, oh, for real? For real. Okay. All right. But yeah, what bothered me about Joe, what what's the other son's name?
1: I think it's Joe. Yeah. Let's just call him Edward II.
0: <laughs> so what, what bothered me about Edward II is that when he's talking about World War One, well, first of all, like th- when we finally see him as a grown adult, he is like the whiniest fucking grown man I have ever seen. And he is like, he's not a grown up at all. He's like- oh, dad, well, I'm really excited about the war. And you're like, aren't you in your 20s or something at this point? Why do you sound like a 12-year-old?
1: Yeah. And
0: then as soon as he gets excited about the war, I'm like, oh, well, they're going to kill him off too. There is no question. And I really felt like they would used up all of the goodwill that I had toward the movie. Because I'm like, you, if you're going to kill them both, do the Doubt Nabby thing and have one come back really injured.
1: Yeah. There's this weird thing where, like, all of the tragedies that this family suffers exist for, like, maximum gut punch. There is never a, like, oh, yeah, that kind of makes sense tragedy of, like, they make a big deal out of, like, people coming back from the Boer War injured. And I'm like, oh, the dad's just gonna have a limp for, like, the rest. Nope. Nothing regular-type bad ever happens to this family. They're either incredibly lucky or both their kids tragically die in the most unlikely circumstance. It is, as a, like window to history thing so artificial that it really takes you out of it
0: particularly because their last speech or whatever at the end or their last conversation is to this country that we love so much to england may she rise again or whatever and you're like really that's how you lost both of your fucking kids and you're just like but boy do we sure love england
1: It's also framed as this weird thing where he's like, ah, yes, the future, my constant friend, because I am an optimist. And the wife just suddenly stands up and is like, yes, that's been the like moral struggle between the two of us for the entire film. And you're like, no, it hasn't. You guys have never brought this up before. Like the at the end of the movie suddenly like he's supposed to always be looking forward toward the future and she's always dreading what the future will bring and it's like i mean that makes sense both her kids died but also you guys have never discussed this before ever
0: they've almost never discussed anything ever we see very little of them interacting and when we do it's like They're making out. Okay, we get it. Like, people in their 30s and 40s who are married can still make out. But he's in the movie very little. It's mostly her. And the idea that they've had some kind of conflict throughout their whole marriage, where she's like, oh, I'm kind of worried that, like, we lost one kid. Maybe I'll lose another. They didn't have any argument about that.
1: It's weird. And then making it even weirder, they then stare off into space As another montage of the world spinning wildly out of control, a.k.a. women in flapper dresses, occurs for, like, three minutes. And for the whole thing, they're just fucking standing there. As other things are, like, with half transparency over them. And then they come back out and go, like, Ah, yes, the future and Great Britain, end of film. (laughs) It's almost like the end of, like, Naked Gun movies where everybody freezes in place, (laughs) except they're just standing there.
0: Yeah, and I'm not sure why. And the other thing too is the stuff that's in transparency over it is a sped up version of the five minutes that preceded that scene. Right. It's not even like, Oh, remember our past. And like when the kids were little and when we found out that Edward died. And when I got the telegram, that Edward too died, it's just like, Hey, remember the five minutes that happened right? Like immediately before this, when people were yelling in a boardroom and then Fanny was wearing a fa- flapper dress and singing. And you're like, I mean, yeah, I do remember that it, it, it was the scene right before this.
1: There's this weird thing after the World War I section where it's like the movie suddenly remembers it's supposed to be about how the modern world sucks. And it's like, oh, shit, why did I waste an hour and 35 minutes on just reciting historical (laughs) events? Fuck, what am I going to do? And just like just throws every image of chaos it can think of and every character going like, ah, things were better before. That it can find, like, it's just so over the top about it, and it has not been set up... Edith has, like, one line on the Titanic about, like, marriage was easier for our parents. And you're like, was it? What's that about? And that's the only setup you get until, like, the last... 15 20 minutes of the movie that apparently the moral of the movie is just like the modern world is chaos and god what are we gonna do it's
0: super disjointed and if that's supposed to be the theme of this film like they they screwed it up
1: yeah i'm not loving this film susan i don't know if you can tell
0: i i mean i wasn't loving it either and you know it's It's interesting because I was thinking about it in the context of the other movies that we've seen in this year. And we've still got a few left to go. But like already there's two movies I would put above this one. Not just one, but two. Yeah. Even though 42nd Street was not a home run, I absolutely think it's a better movie than this. And I think Smiling Through is way better than this.
1: Yeah, I would agree. And like Smiling Through does this same thing, but kind of does it better. Or at least like the Academy loves it for the same reason, right? Like, The reason this wins is that, like, it's this big, epic, sweeping, historical thing.
0: Right. But Smiling Through does it so much better.
1: Right. I, like, actually care about people in Smiling Through. And I just don't at all about almost any of the characters in Cavalcade. Like, I I do... (laughs) I do like Edward I, the OG Edward. (laughs) But the movie doesn't really do right by him.
0: No, and... I mean, Edward one, the fact that you like him at all really is down to that actor just being good and having great chemistry with the girl that he falls in love with. And you're like, oh, this is sweet. Like, they're really nice together. I would like to see them have a happy. Oh, God, they're dead.
1: Yeah. Should we rate this movie?
0: Yeah, we should rate this movie. I don't know how to rate this movie. Yeah,
1: I'm where we are in terms of airing this podcast. We've been given a lot of fives lately. And so I want to resist giving it the like the five of I don't know how to rate this movie. And instead, I think I want to give it like, I mean, I think I want to give it a three because like while individual elements of the thing are good, it doesn't cohere into a film. It's just a it's just a lot of stuff. And some of that stuff is good. But like, it's not a it's not a movie. It's just a bunch of scenes from history
0: yeah i feel like i feel like a three is the right move here i would i also agree that it deserves a three and i you know i think the only reason that my impulse was to five because i felt the same way you did of like well we have been given a lot of fives lately but you know it's a five right <laughs> it's not a five it's not it's not a fine movie that wasn't perfect it's not a mediocre film it's not a movie that was like fabulous about some stuff but garbage about others so the average is a 5. It's it's a bad movie. It's a bad movie that they spent a lot of money making and that has like an epic sweep to it but it's not a good movie. Yeah. And that that doesn't deserve extra points for like what they were trying for was really hard and and they missed the mark. Aim shorter and do better. Yeah.
1: And like I think I mean, don't watch this movie, but I think like this is the closest I would say to watching a movie that we've given this low of a, a, a grade to because it is like it's a fascinating bad movie. It does a lot of really hard things. Well, like there's this huge crowd shot when the dad is going off to the Boer War where you're like, holy shit, like there's a, a boat here, like a big ass boat with a bunch of people on it and like that's actually happening and so you kind of are fascinated by this film but it's a bad and confusing film
0: yeah it's it's not it's not good i i'm actually gonna say don't watch it at all and just like go watch down to nabby
1: yeah i mean definitely given those two choices go watch down Abbey. because
0: like Downton Abbey nabby is gonna take up a lot more of your time but at least you're gonna give a shit about anyone in that
1: yeah What do we got next?
0: Next week is The Private Life of Henry VIII.
1: Right. The, this one. (laughs) Uh,
0: Which is, uh, which sounds to me, and I could be wrong, but it sounds to me like straight up erotic fan fiction, historical erotic fan fiction.
1: Yeah, I, that kind of seems like what it is. I mean, that's definitely what the poster looks like. And great news, because that poster is not great.
0: It is not a good poster at all. But yeah, I'm. <laughs> I feel very trepidatious about this film.
1: Yeah, I'm. Oh, uh, oh boy, and that
0: budget—sixty-five thousand uh, pounds. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, to be fair, though, when my grandfather went to World War Two, which was a few years later, so it was probably different, maybe even worse, it was $5 to the pound.
1: Okay, so yeah, maybe the exchange rate is very, very different.
0: Because, like, they were still doing shit with shillings and farthings or whatever at this point in English history. So, it, you know, the, the budget seems low by today's standards, but maybe it was, like, it was, like, Let's see what this was. 65,000. 000... Oh wait, the dollar to 2015. Huh, that's weird. All right, in 2018. Australian pound. No, not the Australian pound. <laughs>
1: <sighs> if this is your first episode of the Screen Test of Time, welcome <laughs> to the most interesting podcast you'll ever hear. <laughs> just we're just going to do a drop in of like five million dollars and then that's, that's this whole sequence it's like four and a half million dollars apparently in 2015 money <laughs> What in 2015 money
0: what was it in like in 1933 money
1: that's a very good question uh two hundred and seventy
0: thousand not the Australian pound
1: oh wait yeah
0: still pretty low
1: yeah. Like a fourth the budget of the movie we just watched of Cavalcade.
0: Yeah, I think it's actually, it may be like the cheapest movie in this year.
1: That would make some sense to me. I expect we're going to be seeing a lot of sets.
0: Like even Smiling Through had like $250,000 and oh, She Done Him Wrong was $200,000. Yeah, okay. Which, you know, like was not a great movie, but didn't feel cheap, if I remember correctly.
1: It felt a little (laughs) cheap.
0: Man, this movie is going to be so bad.
1: Yeah. Um. So join us next week when we're going to be really shocked that this is like the best movie of the year or we definitely aren't.
0: <laughs> but I will tell you one thing. I will have slept more than I have today. <laughs> and until then, this was a movie. This was like
1: 14 movies and they were all 10 minutes long. I don't know what happened. <laughs> Goodbye.
0: Goodbye! We just died right now well i guess i wouldn't feel anything because i'd be fucking dead